We now come to the second part of Daniel, the prophetic part of Daniel, from chapter 7 onwards. Before we enter this, let me just say a few things about prophecy. Now, when the Old Testament prophets spoke of the kingdom coming, they did not realize that the king would come twice. None, none of the Old Testament prophets grasped that. They knew the king would come. You and I know today, all Christians should know the king comes twice. Jesus came first time 2,000 years ago as a suffering king. And he will come again as a conquering king. We don't know when, but the gap between the first and the second is 2,000 years at least. Because we live in this valley, this big valley of 2,000 years since his first coming. So we have this grasp, we have this understanding. The king comes twice, so there are two kingdoms, right? They did it. So when they say the kingdom comes, we're not sure which one they're referring to because they also don't know which one they're referring to. They just see a kingdom coming, right? And they don't realize that's the case. Okay? Now, today I live in a kingdom, a divine kingdom. I'm a citizen of heaven. I have a king. His name is Christ. But I also live in an earthly kingdom. I live in Singapore. And I'm a citizen of Singapore, probably so. So I live in a coexistence of a divine kingdom that has come 2,000 years already. But this divine kingdom has coexisted with earthly kingdoms. Now, did the prophets know that? The answer is no. They thought when the kingdom comes, all the earthly kingdoms are gone. They didn't realize there would be a long period of coexistence. How long? I don't know. All right. Many scholars would say, oh, Daniel says so many years, so many years. And they all disagree. All right. So I hope you get this clear because this is very important. All right. Now let's go to chapter seven. Now Daniel has a problem. Before the king had two dreams and he was troubled and Daniel can interpret his dreams. Now Daniel has a dream, and he can't even interpret his own dream. <laughs> because the point is, God doesn't give him. God, Daniel has no ability to interpret dreams. It's God that gives him the ability. But now that he has a dream, he's troubled. And in his dream, he sees four beasts coming out of the sea. A lion with wings, a monstrous looking bear, a leopard with angel's wings, and then finally a monster he can hardly describe. So frightening. But this monster has lots of horns and one very special horn. Alright? Now, honestly, you have so many interpretations who the lion is. Who the bear is, who the leopard is, I don't know, and I don't care, right? But I want concern about the fourth beast, this monstrous beast, 
which has horns. Why am I concerned? Because one of his horns, of his many horns, does something that concerns us, right? This one in Revelation, uh, sorry, Daniel 7 verse 25, or maybe verse 24, let me read it. As for the Daniel 7, 24, as for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise. So the fourth kingdom, uh, this monster king, beast that comes out, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. Well, it's a very confusing uh, what it means, I don't even know. Verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High, that's God, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, that's us, uh, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. All right? Whoever this one is, he is a guy who is not afraid to speak against God, right? To trouble the people of God. And he will be there for a time, times, and half a time. It's three and a half years. Okay? That's the way they call it. Time is a year, generally speaking, right? Who is this? Some say he's come before. There was a horrible guy who came out of the Roman Empire. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Syrian general, right? Later I'll explain how he came about. And, right, he would be the one that will desecrate the temple. He's done it. It's this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. He put a pig on the altar. He put prostitutes in every temple room. He put a, a statue of Zeus in the court, right? And he, he slaughtered 40,000 faithful Jews. This happened about 100 over BC, right? And he sold to slavery 40,000 other faithful Jews. Like an antichrist. Is he the end? Is this talking about the next antichrist or the one that came? Or is it both? I don't know. Many people say he was a foreshadowing of the antichrist. This guy I just read about speaks against God. Changed times. Right, he makes the laws. Right, so that was Daniel's dream. He was so troubled. Who's the lion? Who's the bear? Who's the leopard? No. People have different interpretations. All right, so Daniel's so troubled, <clears throat> and then Daniel has a second vision. This time is much easier to explain because God explains it. <laughs> Alright, in chapter 8, you read Daniel sees now two. He's standing, sitting there and sees by the river a ram. A ram with two horns. Alright, remember I said Medo Persian Empire. 
Medes first, then Persians. The Persians were more powerful. The second horn. Interpreted in chapter 8 when you read it. So it's interpreted. The ram is the Medo-Persian Empire. Then as he watched this ram, suddenly he saw a goat charging at top speed. Amazing speed. His feet were not as if on the ground, as if he was flying. And he slammed the, the ram, and the ram was helpless. Slammed down. And this goat went on in great power. And then while he was in this peak of power, he was over, kaput, gone. And four other little horns popped out. This ram, this goat had one horn, right? And that horn was snapped off, and four horns, tiny ones, smaller ones, came up in its place. And it's interpreted. It is the Greek Empire. Now, who was the Greek Empire? We know Alexander the Great. Every child knows that story. Alexander the Great came to power at speed nobody could believe. He was 32 when he conquered the world from India to Egypt. Right? He went on horseback at 32 years old. He had conquered the world. He was so fast in conquering that he didn't have time to consolidate. Right? That's why he was the empire of brass, strong brass, right? But not like the Babylonians who built this beautiful gold, glorious empire that everybody gave them. Gold. Right? The Medo-Persian was the silver. And the Greeks were the belly and the thigh. Strength. And he conquered at top speed, 32 years old, he died. And his empire was split up into four kings. This is in the Bible, in history. Right? Four generals took over. None of them liking each other. So it's all there in prophesied in Daniel chapter 8. These four generals, one ruled what we call uh, Asia Minor, Turkey area. One general ruled Greece. One general ruled, ruled the Syrian part, Syria. Right? The Babylonian, Syrian, that area. And the last one, Egypt. So in other words, Alexander's empire was split for its four generals. Now let's forget about the guy who ruled the Turkey area and the Greece area. They're out of the picture. Okay? Later, you'll find the guy, the general that ruled the Syrian Empire, became stronger and stronger. He's called the King of the North. Later we'll see that in chapter 11. King of the North. North, huh? King of the South is Egypt. Now, why am I putting these two? I'll give you a bit of geography lesson, right? Poor Israel was stuck between these two Syria and Egypt. Right? And the king of the north, the Syrian general, became stronger and stronger and was determined to conquer the king of the south. He did eventually. But Egypt. Judah was in its way, so he had to smash through Judah. 
right? Because in case the you know the loyalty of this guy in the middle, it doesn't know which side to go to, right? So what we have here now is the king. One of the generals became kings, and then one of those kings, the little horn, became the monster horn that we read of, that he will declare himself to be God. He will sit in the temple. He will desecrate everything that the temple stood for. All right? And then, finally, Right? He will claim that he is God. Some say that's the Antichrist about to come. Some say it's Antiochus Epiphanes. Don't know. Maybe both. Okay? So that was in uh, Daniel chapter 8. Okay? And so Daniel is so troubled by this. That this something's going to happen one day that will trouble his, his beloved Jerusalem and the temple. And as he's troubled, he realizes that Jeremiah wrote a prophecy. And he checks it up and says, Jeremiah said we'll only be in exile for 70 years. And hey, this is in chapter 9. The 70 years is almost up. Alright? And he starts to pray an amazing national prayer. He prays for Israel, asks forgiveness from God. God, we've paid our penalty. we paid 70 years already, almost. Time to go home, God, to be freed and our people can go back, right, from the exile. And then the angel Gabriel comes and tells him some bad news. Angel Gabriel said, 70 years, they didn't actually they continued to sin. 70 years. Let's stretch the punishment. Times it by 7. 70 times 7. Alright? Now let's look back at chapter 9, verse 24 to 25. Okay? I'm trying to not trouble you with too many uh, questionable interpretations of PC, but hopefully some of them are more acceptable, right? So let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. Seventy sevens are decreed. Okay, in the Bible it says 70 weeks a week is sevens, right? So 70 sevens uh, are decreed about your people and your holy city. So no more 70, uh, 70 times 7 now. To finish the transgression. To put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, 
there shall be seven weeks. All right? Now, I hope you understand this, okay? He is saying it's no more 70. 70 times 7, 490. From the decree to go out, that means from the time they were told you can go back and build the temple, till the coming of the anointed one, till the coming of the prince, the Messiah, is 70 times 7. Right? That's how many? 490 years. If you look at the calendar, that's the time Christ came. Under 500 years. I mean, it, you, you cannot calculate exactly because there were four decrees to go back. Four times they were told you can go back. Which decree is he calling for? He said, from the decree to go back till the coming of Christ, 17 times 7. Give and take a bit. Now to me, it's good enough. Can you imagine Christ coming? Time was given that in less than 500 years, he would come. First coming of Christ. He did. Right? Now to me, that's good enough. For my prophecy, all the other details, I don't need to know because they may speak of the second coming and I don't know nothing about the second coming. I can argue with, I can believe in this or that and the lion is the US or UK or whatever, I don't know. But I know something has already happened. From the going back to build the temple to the coming of Christ, less than 500 years, it happened. Good enough. For me, all the details, I don't know. Alright? So, that's for me, the prophecy I need that if his first coming was predicted, and he came, his second coming is predicted, he will come. That's good enough for me. When? I don't know. Who cares? He's coming. I'm sure. How do you know you're sure? Because when he predicted the first one, he came. And he predicted he'll come again. He'll come. But when? I don't know. Alright? Because honestly, I don't think any scholars agree. Anyway, I always say prophecy, keep humble. Don't be too smart. Chapter 10. Chapter 9, that's good enough for me. Chapter 10. It tells us of a conflict. That things happening on earth, there is a parallel happening up in the heavens. As there's conflict on earth, there is angelic conflict, angelic and demonic conflict up there. We call it spiritual warfare. And a whole theology has been built about spiritual warfare. It's a new thing now. Very, very popular. Before people enter into a territory, because in chapter 10, it speaks of the prince of Persia, the prince, all right, the, the demonic prince of Persia, demonic prince of Greece, controlling these kingdoms, all right. And then the angel Michael, Michael is the angel of Israel, in case you didn't know that, huh? 
and the guardian angel of Israel is Michael. Prince of the guardian angel of Greece, I don't know his name, but he's there. Of Persia, he's there. In other words, there are demonic forces up there. And the whole theology tells us now that before you enter a place to do evangelism, you go up, you go there first to bind the demonic forces. You go and pray against the demons so that your evangelism, your whatever you do, can spread freely. While I know there are demonic forces up there, I'm never told to bind any of them. I'm never told, go ye therefore and bind the demonic forces and then make disciples. I never see that. In fact, when Jesus was on this earth, he didn't go around, uh, uh, what do you call it, attacking demons. He didn't. Until people came with demonic and said, my son is possessed with a demon. Jesus said, cast him out. All right? Whenever he was confronted, when there was a demonic thing in front of him, he dealt with it. He didn't go looking for demons to cast out. Honestly, the demons are everywhere. Everywhere. Right now, as I'm preaching to you, there are probably demonic beings uh, running around trying to to confuse my mind and mess up my computer. I'm pretty sure of that. But until they manifest themselves, it's like mosquitoes. I, when there's a mosquito, I, I, I kill it. All right? I don't spend my life going around looking for mosquitoes. Okay? So there's this whole new thing from chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10 of spiritual warfare. People who don't actually do anything except going around binding the forces somewhere there or there. All right, and it gives you a sense of great power after all. My goodness, I'm up in the heavens fighting the, the, the big demonic. I leave that to Michael, the archangel, etc. You know, the, the battles up there, God will take care of it. The battles down here is my responsibility. All right, so anyway, that's chapter 10. And then in chapter 11, it's very hard to read. It speaks of all kinds of kings coming up here, there, and Honestly, I, I don't know how to interpret that, but I just keep seeing King of the North, King of the South, King of the North, King of the South. I see that many times. So I see the kings in Syria, that part, you know, where the uh, Alexander's generals had made a huge empire in Syria, another huge empire in Egypt, all right? And these two are vying for power and poor Israel is stuck in the middle, right? And then again, we see in then 11, when you read it, you try to get the details, you go, you go crazy, all right? Daniel 11, verse 31, all right? People will say, no, PC, you shouldn't say such things. I'm just being frank with you, all right? There are some things you just have to accept that one day God will show it to you and say, ah, got it, all right? But until that day comes, don't pretend, all right? <clears throat> Daniel 11, verse uh, 31, talking about, you know, that, that uh, evil man. Huh? Mm. All right, Daniel 11, verse 31, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Is this Antiochus Epiphanes being predicted or is this antichrist coming again to mess up the third temple i don't know is this antiochus 
Epiphany is messing up the second temple or the Antichrist is going to mess up the next temple that will one day maybe be built in Jerusalem. Right? I don't know. Maybe both. Right? Just I know that before the coming of Christ, there was a terrible guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. Before the coming of the second, second Christ's second coming, there'll be another one called, not Antiochus, Antichrist. Fairly similar name, right? Anyway, finally we come to Daniel chapter 12, and I'm going to show you some verses, probably not even struck you when you read it, but it's very critical, all right? In Daniel 12, verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now you and I will say, that's resurrection. What's the big deal? What's the, what's the big deal? Why are you telling us about this? I'm telling you about this because Jews didn't understand this. It's a revelation to them. They knew when they died, they went to this dark place, Sheol. And they don't know what happens after that. You know, when Song of Solomon and people are talking about, you know, the good, the bad, they all go to the same place. You know, if you're a good man, you do your best. If you're a bad man, you all go to the same place. As far as the Jews were concerned, that's their understanding. They went to this place and not quite sure what's going to happen next. But here it says, you, let's read it again, huh? those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. You're going to get up from the dust. The resurrection. Right? And then we look at the last part of the last verse of the um, Daniel chapter, sorry, verse 13, not the last verse, verse 13. Yes, it is the last verse, sorry. But go your way till the end. Last verse of the whole entire book. Daniel, just go your way. You shall rest. And shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. He's telling Daniel, don't be troubled by all these things. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. You will go to the dust. One day you rise and you stand in your place. You will find your allotted place in that kingdom that I told you about. You know, the rock would come, smash the whole, uh, this idol of Nebuchadnezzar, smash it out, and then eternal kingdom will be built. That was the dream. Nebuchadnezzar saw this golden thing and one day a rock carved from a mountain without hands smashes all the kingdoms. Babylonian, Medo-Persian, uh, Greek, Roman, all smashed. A new kingdom will come up. Everlasting kingdom. And you know what, Daniel? You will stand there. You know, I find people today so troubled by what's happening in this world. They really are troubled by politics, 
they, they get all involved and heated up about how the people rule, how their rulers are not being right, and and they, they feel like their whole life is engaged in, in fighting for a righteous kingdom. You know, I think Daniel was very troubled. He had served four kings, they were all terrible guys. He's very troubled. He saw the insights and he saw the dirt and the junk. And God says to him, ah, just read it, okay? Go your way till the end. Last verse. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. You know what the end of the days are, Daniel? I told you. The rock will come and smash every kingdom that the beast that came out of the field, the lion, the bear, all look so fierce to you. You know what? One day, it's gone, Daniel. And you will take your allotted place in God's eternal kingdom. That's the book of Daniel. People worry about when, how you will come, all oh, pre-trip, post-trip, all kinds of stuff. You know, he tells them, relax. You'll be there. To you Christians who are so troubled by the world around you, you will be troubled. In this life, you shall have struggles. In the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread. This is life on earth. There will be joy in your heart, peace in your heart. Especially if you know where you will go for eternity. What's the book of Daniel put here for? It's about kingdoms. It's not about you trying to be the next soothsayer and predicting exactly where the US will fit in, where England will fit in, where China will fit in into Daniel's prophecy. Waste your time! Worse still, Christian, waste your time trying to make righteous kingdoms on earth. Waste your time. Why don't you just help people to find their allotted place in God's kingdom? Have peace on earth because whatever happens now, I have a place allotted for me and I will stand there. Get it? I'm a citizen of the eternal kingdom. Is this how you read Daniel? Is this why Daniel is placed there? Or is it for curiosity so you can uh, argue with somebody about what the Antichrist would look like, how many teeth he would have or whatever, right? It is about you just having peace, standing strong in the midst of all the turmoil of this world, still doing God's will as Daniel did, serving as best he could, what else could he do to change a corrupt king, etc.? Even as prime minister, he's trouble. He can't do much. What about you? Just be thankful that you will have a kingdom and your job is to enroll as many into the citizenship of heaven. Not be troubled by the present or curious about when and how and all that. Know that you will be there. People ask me, are you pre-trip, post-trip, whatever, rapture? I said, you know what? I'll be there. I'll be there. For sure. That's all I need to know.
I don't need to be troubled by the rest. I have a passport, I have a kingdom, and I'll be there. Now let me end by Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. For all the curious people, Daniel 12, verse 9, he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up, shut up and sealed until the time of the end. What does that say to you and me? You think you can be so smart? <laughs> the words are shut up until the end of the time. When you get there, you look back and say, oh, all the predictions so perfect. Why didn't I see it? Because they were shut up, man. <laughs> they were sealed until the end of the time. Right? And here we go with all the brilliant scholars wasting their PhDs figuring out all the things they don't need. And our job is not to figure out these things. Our job is to make disciples of all nations. May God bless you with peace in the midst of troubled, troubled nations that you may lead thousands of people into the eternal kingdom of God. That is the book of Daniel. That's why it is part, a wonderful part of the beautiful book.